Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 268, where we kick off the 2021 air show season with Larry Kelly, owner of and pilot a B-25 Panchito. But before we begin, a quick uh, word from our sponsor. Let's do the pre-flight. PlainEnglishSim.com is the sponsor of this episode. It's an app-based aviation radio simulator. It's an easy way to gain radio proficiency in both VFR and IFR. Uh, You can find out more how you can actually also get a free scholarships guide because they're sponsoring our scholarships guides this month at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free. Please check out their website, though. If you do, you'll get one of those free scholarships guides. And by the way, we're up to $120 million uh, in scholarships there. So, uh, so go check out our scholarships guide, get a free one because of our sponsor, Plain English Sim. Now entering cruise flight. Again, I'm Carl Valeri and joining me today is Larry Kelly, owner and pilot of B-25 Panchito. We're going to discuss the t- 2021 air show season and also the storied history of the B-25. Hey, Larry, welcome to the show. Well, good evening. Sorry we had a little bit of trouble there with the audio getting it working, <laughs> but we got it going now. We did, and uh, just like anything mechanical, sometimes we have some challenges. Uh, uh, and I'm sure you've been through a few of those, with uh, especially with the airplanes. You've had so many in, in, in your lifetime. Uh, but Larry, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know is that uh, that that's very shiny B-25 Panchito that really has uh, taken a lot of love and uh, dedication to keep it up in the air. Uh, but before we talk about just the B-25, let's let's talk about the season here. I know things have been a little bit different. Uh, so from your perspective, you fly the airplane. Um, how are things different uh, this year in 2021? Well, the main difference is we don't have everything canceling like it did last year. Uh, you know, shows are adapting as far as some of their COVID protocols. Uh, and of course, as we get on the backside of this thing, uh, where people are getting their vaccines and, and a lot less people in the number of new cases is dramatically going down, uh, states are opening back up. The politicians are beginning to crawl or, you know, up and stick their head up and look around and, uh, sort of like Groundhog Day and, uh, seeing that the world didn't end and, uh, so producers are going ahead with shows this year, whereas this time last year, well, not this time, but you know, in May and June last year, everything just started shutting down for the whole season. So, uh, and there are some uh, some various ways that people did last year. Some people are going to be incorporating into this year, you know, with the drive-in air show concept. Uh, uh, wings over North Georgia did that very successfully last year. Then the uh, Lockheed Martin Space and Air Show in October 
uh, you know, they had a lot of uh, unique ideas uh, that worked out very well. Uh, the county was all happy with that, even, and they still wound up having about 10,000 people in attendance. But this year, it's looking like, uh, looking like we have almost a normal season. That's great to hear. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll be joining us in Sun and Fun. We're here in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, Panchito will make it down there. So things have uh, changed in that they're better. Uh, but there's also part of this that I'm wondering, and a lot of people ask me this question. I don't know this answer. From the performer's perspective, uh, if you've flown in any air shows lately, is there anything different that's happening from from your side? Any safety precautions that have to be changed? taken etc or is it just the same as it was before well everything revolves around covid like everything in your life right now is revolving around covid you know the only thing is that they are planning to have displays further apart they're going to be planning on asking everybody to wear a mask and you know as far as the airplane and uh, in our living history flight exemptions the only thing different is yeah we have to sanitize the airplane and the headsets uh, and et cetera, between, uh, between passengers, we have to ask passengers to all wear a mask. That's really the only, only difference. Otherwise, you know, what we're doing is in preparing for the air shows is pretty much the same as, as we've done before. Uh, the one thing that is, uh, uh, that a lot of us really regretted last year being the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II we regretted being able to salute all those veterans, uh, you know, that served uh, in World War II, the ones that are still alive and the ones that's passed. But, you know, we've lost even more of them this year. So this year we're going to be trying to do that salute that we were not able to do last year. Even even things such as burials, uh, you know, we've still not been able to bury Dick Cold at Arlington Cemetery, you know, the last of the Doolittle Raiders. Uh, we're still waiting on Arlington Cemetery and waiting on things to calm down to allow us to even do uh, his funeral. So uh, that is, uh, uh, yeah, that's one thing that's really, you know, a little distracting to us is not being able to do the salutes. I mean, we almost got off the arsenal of democracy flight. You know, we had a hundred airplanes, you know, based at, at two different airports up here, you know, ready to do a flyover the Washington Mall in September celebrate you know the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II and weather uh, shut us down on both days. We had both our primary day and our alternate day. We had uh, weather that prevented us from being able to. We had IFR weather, so we couldn't do the flyover. So uh, this year we're really hoping to be able to get in that 75th anniversary salute. Well, I, I sure hope so, and I, I'm positive you will. Um, you know, speaking of the, and you bring up a good point here, the salutes and, and everything involved in restoring aircraft, I think it's really important from my perspective as somebody who needs to be reminded about our history, but from your perspective, why, why is preserving these aircraft so important? Well, <laughs> You know, I, I sort of use a couple of analogies here. Uh, these aircraft were the tools. It was the veterans that won the war. It was the young men that stood in line to volunteer when their chances of surviving 25 missions was less than your chance of winning a coin toss. It was the veterans that stood in line. 
these aircraft are the tools they used. A hammer doesn't put a roof on a house. You know, a carpenter does. The hammer is the tool. These aircraft were the tools of all these veterans. And in a way, these aircraft is the connection back to those veterans, you know, so many of which did not come home. So many fathers, brothers, husbands that, uh, you know, left home and never came home. You know, the airmen that every morning when they would launch, as they'd leave the briefing to go to their aircraft, they would be sure they left a letter on their bunk to be sent home if they didn't come back. And a lot of those letters got picked up and mailed. Uh, you know, these are the icons. These, these are the tools that these veterans used. You know, when I go to the National Zoo, I like to go to the lion pen and I want to see a lion walking around. I want to see him roar. I want to see the majesty of a real life, living, breathing, roaring lion. I don't want to see a stuffed lion. I don't want to see an airplane sitting behind glass in a museum. It's not real. It's not breathing. It's not living. It's not really seeing what it was like. And that's why it's important to keep these aircraft flying, keep them restored and keep them available where the public can actually, you know how many times I've had family members who uncles, brothers, whatever it may be, grandfathers who flew in B-25s in World War II and they come and they take a, a flight experience ride with us and it is a very moving experience for them to see what it was actually like, to feel what it was like, to smell it, to hear it. Uh, uh, it is, and, and for some of the veterans that would take for a flight, it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a very special moment taking them back. Uh, I sat in the cockpit once down in Columbia, South Carolina with Tick Tokaz, who who was the uh, commander of the 340th bomb group out of Corsica flying into Italy. And uh, uh, I didn't know, you know, his particular history at the time. And he was out at the airport with his kids and suffering from, uh, 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 you know, he had cancer at the time, uh, prostate cancer, but he climbed, we got him up in the pilot seat of the airplane and he's sitting there and, uh, you know, making a few, jokes at first and then he got real serious and he just sat there silent was looking out into space perspiration started popping up on his forehead I leaned over and touched him you know I'm a pharmacist by training I, I thought he was having a TIA or stroke mini stroke reach over touching ticket you all right and he said wow yeah this is the first time I've been back in in a b25 since that day in Italy and I said well tell me about that. What was that? And he said, well, they had a raid to Monte Casino. It was going to be a low level bombing raid and it was going to be a volunteer group. And he wasn't going to send his men into something he wasn't willing to go himself. So even though as commander of the group, he was not supposed to fly combat, but he did. He went out, took his XO, his XO volunteered to go as his co-pilot. They led the mission. Uh, his bombardier was killed by flak. His co-pilot's head was blown off when they were attacked by enemy fighters. Uh, his waist gunner was killed. Uh, and he took a machine gun roundup through his leg and limped back with a, with a busted up airplane, three dead crewmen. And uh, that was the end of the war for him. And he came home. And, you know, I was sitting there, wow, what an experience. But as we as, as he composed himself and climbed down out of the airplane, his son looked to me with his wide eyes and said, we never heard that story. We never knew that. 
Dad never told us this. We always thought his limp was a congenital problem. We didn't know it was some combat wounds. So that's why it's important to keep these airplanes flying, to tell those stories, to keep those stories alive. So few people today understand what it was like back then, how what a total effort the United States put into winning that, that conflict. Uh, too many high school kids today don't even know what World War II is all about, what caused it, why we wound up in a war with Japan and Germany and the Axis powers. Uh, if you don't understand your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And agree more. You know, you're doing that by bringing him into the cockpit has done another thing too. It's, it's actually pushed that legacy down the line because now those children, grandchildren that heard him talk about this experience, now they're going to pass it along to the next generation, to the next generation. And uh, I know from personal experience with my dad never talked about the war and, you know, finally something triggered him and, it could be somebody sitting in an airplane coming close to an airplane. And unfortunately, we're losing a lot of those folks that have flown those airplanes. But, but what you're doing, though, is amazing by keeping this legacy alive. But not just the people that have flown in it, but how about the, how about the ones that have never been in a B-25? How, what about those folks? I mean, there's people that look at it and say, what is that thing? I mean, what, do you have any experiences where, where you could tell us about someone who was actually educated just by being able to sit next to this airplane and touch this airplane. I, oh gosh, those stories are, are, are very many. Yes. Uh, we have uh, you know, people who will, who will, uh, most people who want to come and, and do a flight with us, they've done their homework and they know a little bit about it, uh, know a little bit about the history of the airplane, but we make sure we tell them a lot more of the history. Uh, but, for, for, for some, for instance, there was a couple of, uh, a 10-year-old and a nine-year-old boy a couple of years ago we met at it. Uh, we were in Ohio uh, as part of uh, one of the dual Raider reunions, and their parents brought these two boys out, and they had been reading, and they, they knew all their facts and figures about the B-25s and the Doolittle Raid and et cetera. And uh, they seemed to be, let's say, 70% interested. Okay. Uh, and it's only because you could tell their parents had pretty much uh, drilled it into them and helped them understand it. But since these kids you know, seem to be so polite and they seem to be, have a, you know, so much more knowledge than most other kids their ages, we sort of took them under our wing. And when uh, Dick Cole and Tom uh, Griffin uh, came out to the airfield and Dave Thatcher uh, I made a point of taking these boys over and introducing them to those three. There's three of the actual Doolittle Raiders. And, and, and they had time to talk to them a little bit. And uh, then we took the parents and the boys for a flight in the airplane. And uh, that seemed to just light a fire under these kids. I uh, saw them again a couple of years later. Uh, actually, that goes back first time we met them was probably six years ago and met them again a couple of years ago. So it was after about four years. Uh, both the kids are signed up taking flying lessons now. 
they have uh, really dug uh, into the books. They have become very avid warbird enthusiasts. They're doing some volunteer work out at the National Museum, United States Air Force. So, uh, you know, that experience really got them charged up and hopefully they're telling, you know, other kids, uh, uh, you know, they're both now seeking careers in, uh, in aviation. So hopefully they'll do that. Whether or not they would have done that otherwise, don't know. Uh, one thing we do right now, too, is we do podcast uh, uh, Zoom meetings, actually, with local high schools in our area here in Delaware uh, every week. And, you know, because they've been they've been sort of hungry for content uh, with so many schools being closed. And uh, so we've been doing you know, some history podcasts with them. And as soon as the state completely opens back up, these same kids will be coming out and they'll be able to put their hands on and hopefully we'll be able to stimulate the same kind of interest in some of those kids to get them to study their history a little more uh, and or seek some careers, you know, similar careers in aviation. What an incredible thing you're doing for the community by, by bringing this to them and bring this piece of history. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, Larry, from your perspective, gosh, being the steward of such an important piece of history that must really have an incredible impact on your life. Well, it has even more so, you know, after I bought the airplane in 97, I'd had it about six years when I was approached by the disabled American veterans. And uh, we were looking to do an aviation outreach program. And uh, so we took some of their guys with us to an event uh, just to show them around what air shows are all about, what kind of audience it is, what kind of people they may be able to reach to get their message out. Because the DAV has been around since 1920. It's the oldest of all of the veteran service units. You know, it was founded to help the World War I veterans coming home. And uh, so meeting them and then and they they saw what we were doing and it was just uh, you know the perfect match for us to team up with them and for the next 10 years representing the disabled american veterans gave me access to a lot more uh, veterans that i may not have uh, met or had interactions with and it had such a important uh, impact on me. You know, I was addressing national meeting of disabled American veterans the first year we were doing this. And I'm sitting in, a, in a, excuse me, I'm standing on a podium in front of 2,500 delegates to the national convention. And sitting in a row right in front of me was an older gentleman in a wheelchair. And on his hat said, USS Arizona. <laughs> Getting to go down and talk to him a few minutes after, you know, after my presentation. Uh, and hear his story, you know, which is one of hundreds that we've heard, you know, as we traveled around representing the DAV. Uh, on Saturday night, the 6th of December, he uh, uh, had met a family when he was on leave in town. He was just a seaman on the Arizona. He's a, a ship fitter. And uh, they invited him to stay with them for the evening and go to church with him on Sunday morning. So we went back to the ship, got permission, uh, got a change of clothes, went back to these folks' house. The next morning, woke up in time to see the Arizona blow up. And everybody that he knew in the service were all killed. You know, <laughs> you, you hear those personal stories, you see those personal stories. And then, 
I try to do a good job of passing those stories on for other people to understand a little bit about what it was really like uh, back then. Um, uh, my ex-father-in-law telling me the story of at the Battle of Midway. He was on the USS Grayson and, uh, you know, telling them how they were out trying to find downed airmen that were shot down. Torpedo Squadron 8, as you know, lost every airplane on the first wave attacking the Japanese carriers at Midway. And at his station, uh, you know, he, he, his battle station was feeding ammo into an aircraft gun. They saw a, a Japanese torpedo coming at him. He just knew he was dead. Torpedo went under the boat. They were so low on fuel, they'd been out searching for survivors. The captain refused to go back. They were about to run out of fuel. So the boat, the uh, destroyer was riding so high in the water, the torpedo went under him. <laughs> uh, but they picked up a couple of airmen. They picked up uh, uh, you know, two guys that had been floating in the water for three days. So those are the kind of stories you're over and over and over again. And uh, I try as we travel around and we meet people and we get to talk to small groups, both kids and adults, tell some of those stories, keep it a little bit alive you know, of what real experiences, personal experiences were for, you know, tens of thousands of veterans that stood in line and volunteered. Everyone that went into the air in World War II was a volunteer. Not one person was drafted and ordered to go in the air. They were all volunteers. The gunners, the bombardiers, the pilots, all were volunteers. That is amazing. I think a, a lot of people do not realize that. You know, you talked about disabled American veterans or DAV.org. It's not just, uh, you know, the World War II veterans. It's, it's all veterans that it reaches out to. And I'm sure that this aircraft touches many people besides... Oh. I mean, even recent disabled veterans also, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, ab ab absolutely. Uh, the DAV is, is a major advocate for all, vet all disabled veterans of all wars of all, all times, not just World War II. We were not doing the air show outreach program just to reach World War II veterans. Uh, we were there to get the message out to all veterans about what the DAV does and, and what a great organization it is. You know, they unlike some other well-publicized veterans organizations you see on TV every day, uh, the DAV has like 90% of the money they raise goes towards actual direct veterans benefits, not like some of the others where 90% goes to uh, administrative fees. Uh, and uh, there's no uh, uh, more uh, recognized and uh, uh, representative of the veterans groups in D.C. than the DAV. They have a long history of being the premier uh, voice uh, for disabled veterans uh, in D.C. A couple of years ago, I remember listening to some congressional hearings. They were talking about, you know, the VA, when some of the VA scandals came down. And they were out at Walter Reed, and it's this news organization. They kept interviewing different veterans. And this veteran, and I can't remember the fellow's name, but they, you know, they would ask him about, well, how do you, you know, when you're having difficulty getting an appointment schedule, what do you do? Well, I go see Aaron Smith. And then somebody else would, that's a name I made up because I can't remember the, the name at the time. But uh, then they were interviewing somebody else and he was telling about some of the problems he had had, but he went and saw Aaron Smith and they got it all straightened out and got him going. 
And after the third person they were talking to, this reporter said, well, who is this Aaron Smith guy? Well, he's the, he's the, uh, uh, he's the disabled American veterans uh, uh, representative here. He has an office here at the hospital and he's the only one that makes everything happen. He's the one that, you know, the, gets all the appointment schedule for us. And <laughs> I said, wow. And here it was, you know, national TV doing an expose and, and, and the DAV was the one that kept coming across as the ones that was uh, making it happen for the veterans and for their families. Uh, and during this time, we also got to meet Gary Sinise. Gary was doing all of our public service announcements for the DAV Aviation Outreach Program. And we did, we did a few events with Gary and find out, you know, you know he has the... Uh, was called the uh, the Lieutenant Dan Band. And Gary would goes out and he does these concerts uh, and all the money raised doing these concerts with the Lieutenant Dan Band. He turns around and goes around and builds a house for a severely disabled veteran, somebody with maybe triple amputee, and uh, then gives the house to him, just gives it to him. And the house is specially designed by architects to meet the unique needs of that disabled veteran and then Gary you know, works with the architects, builds a house around his particular veteran's needs and gives them the house free. And then he goes into another town, does more concerts, raises more money, builds another house, gives it to the veteran. Uh, you know, and so being associated with people like that. But you don't see that on the media, do you? You know, Gary doesn't go out and do, Gary Sinise. He doesn't do that, you know, for the publicity of it. He does it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, that's, you know, the great honor I had of the 10 years working with the DAV, uh, you know, getting their message out to the country. We're sounding like a DAV commercial here, aren't we? But, you know, you asked me about how, you know, you know, you know, the airplane, using the airplane to reach people and tell those stories. It, again, is serving its role as just that icon, that representative of not just the airmen, but of all the veterans of that particular war and even, you know, modern wars it's still that icon that helps get us helps us in getting that message across it does a great job of doing that that uh, that aircraft that icon everybody notices it and it and it's amazing the the service that you do by bringing this forth so that people get to know about the disabled american veterans that many people may not know about it's absolutely wonderful and hats off to you i really appreciate that and, and the fact that you do that you know we're we, it, it's sounding fun. Let me just throw one thing in here, if I could, at this point, because uh, it's on on the subject. Uh, at Sun and Fun this year on Saturday at eleven thirty, uh, if anybody that's listening is going to be on the Warbird ramp at eleven thirty on Saturday at, at Sun and Fun, we're doing uh, 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 the Arsenal program. I forget what they call it. The uh, 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 Freedom's Arsenal. Uh, presentation with a gentleman named Alan Bell. Alan is 95 years old, 95 or 96 years old. Uh, he was a B-25 pilot in World War II, and he's still very eloquent. He's, he's just a great speaker, a tremendous recall of history, you know, in his experiences. On the day the Japanese surrendered, he was on his bomb run, and uh, bomb doors open, bombardier preparing to drop the bombs on a Japanese airfield in the Philippines when he got a call on the radio that a Japanese surrendered to abort the mission. And he closed the bomb doors and uh, turned, flew back over the ocean, dropped his bombs, basically went home. 
but uh, Alan will be doing a program with him. It's Alan Bell. And uh, Alan, you want to hear some really great personal stories. There are still a few of these guys around and Alan to be there with me at 1130 on Saturday at uh, uh, the Arsenal uh, on the Warbird ramp. And just a, a further plug there, April 13th through the 18th, 2021, we'll be there. Sun and Fun Radio. If you want to find out more, flysnf.org. We'll have all the information about these events and, and the one that you're talking about. And where you can find the Warbird ramp, by the way, you can actually download a little map there so it can show you how to get out there to the ramp. And uh, we'll definitely look forward to, to actually seeing you there on the ramp. Very excited to have you at, uh, at Sun and Fun. But, you know, as we're talking, uh, one of the things I was thinking, boy, it would sure be cool if uh, you could actually fly one of these B-25s. I know people dream about that. Um, so is there is there ever that opportunity, either in an air show or, or some other way? Actually, we can make that happen. Uh, with our museum, we have an exemption. See, the airplanes, these, these airplanes are what's called limited category, B-17s, B-25s, a lot of P-51s, et cetera. As limited category airplanes, you normally cannot have any a passenger in the airplane for hire. But we have an exemption to allow us to do flight training in the airplane. So as long as someone has a multi-engine rating and at least a third class medical, uh, we can give them dual instruction into B-25. We can help them earn their second command rating, which goes on your pilot certificate, or a full type rating. Uh, all the information about our flight school, our B-25 flight school, is on our website, DelawareAviationMuseum.org. And uh, I, so anywhere from one hour of dual instruction all the way up through a full type rating, whatever someone wants. And to my knowledge, we are the only completely self-contained B-25 flight school in the world. Uh, we're dedicated only to the B-25. That's all we teach is flying the B-25. Uh, examiner on staff, instructors on staff, you know, we're a completely self-contained operation. So you don't have to take a slip of paper and take it to the FAA afterwards to get your certificate issued. We need rating on it. Uh, when you leave our school, you have, if you've earned it, this is not, you know, paper compliance. You don't just write a check and get to do it. You've got to actually meet the standards and if you meet the standards, uh, then you get the issued your new certificate and you walk away with it in your pocket. Uh, we do classes well, several times a year. It's all on our website. Uh, right after we get home, the weekend after we get home from Sun and Fun, uh, we have a class. And I think we've got four, four students coming for a second command class. And uh, another neat thing for just the enthusiast. People who just want to know more about the airplane may not even be pilots. You don't have to be a pilot. You can come attend our ground school. You're in the ground school with the pilots. It's going to be doing the flight training. But the, the first day of the training is the ground school. And the ground school is not just, you know, uh, how to fly the airplane and the safety procedures, emergency procedures, but there's an awful lot of hands-on with the airplane, too how the magnetos work, how the carburetor works, how the fire suppression system works, how the electrical system works, how the fuel system works. There's a lot of hands-on with the airplane that a lot of Warbird enthusiasts enjoy uh, because you don't get to be that up close and personal and that intimate with the airplane in any other setting. You certainly can't do all of that in an air show. 
Absolutely not. And by the way, I really highly recommend if you're thinking about anything about the B-25, check out DelawareAviationMuseum.org. You can find out more about the B-25 and the other things that they have there, which, by the way, we should probably mention that. Um, uh, say they're interested in other things in aviation and history. What else can they, they see at the Delaware Aviation Museum? Well, uh, we've got a library of about 3,000 books. It's an all you know aviation library. Uh, a lot of artifacts on display. Uh, other aircraft, we have uh, flying, uh, an L-19, an L-16, uh, de Havilland chipmunk, uh, two tiger moths, uh, and a 1947 North American Navion. Uh, these are the aircraft that are flying. And then we have a J-3 in restoration, cub, a J-4 cub in restoration, both. Uh, and a UC-78 old bamboo bomber that's uh, being repaired where uh, I'll let one of our pilots take it to Oshkosh and he was showing off at Fond du Lac and wrecked the airplane on takeoff by bringing the power in too fast. And uh, in a tailwheel airplane, multi-engine with a, with a uh, free-casting tailwheel, so you bring the power in too fast, the airplane's gonna take off to the left uh, because of P-factor, and it did. And uh, so anyway, we are rebuilding that airplane. Uh, so those are the other things we have. And we are, <laughs> we are a working museum. If anybody ever went to Tom Riley's place down in Kissimmee, Florida, when he had the Warbird Restoration Museum there in Kissimmee, we're very much like that. When you walk in our place, there's airlines and uh, electric cords and tools and you know, we're working on this and that. We may be changing the cylinder on the airplane. You know, we're we're working on things, and we you know welcome volunteers to come. Uh, I was just talking with a fellow this afternoon that's going to be flying down from Massachusetts to volunteer with us to help work on the airplanes. He's just an enthusiast and wants to help us keep going. And after 2020, that was a tough year. You know, we lost most of our revenue in that year, and these airplanes are. A little expensive to keep going. I just bought a new tire. Do you know what a main gear tire for this airplane costs? The tire? Just one single main gear tire is $6,750. And the tube is $600. Wow. Okay, that's, that's $15,000 just to put a set of tires on. Okay, it's getting very expensive to keep flying. So uh, an engine overhaul now is around $100,000. Propeller overhauls, $15,000. You know, the, uh, it, they're getting very expensive to operate. So, uh, you know, having volunteer help to keep us going is, is very, very, very important. You know, as, as you're saying that, I'm sure there's people love to help out, but they're far away and they may never be able to make it to the museum. Is there anything else that someone might be able to do to help? Is there, uh, can they donate to the organization? Uh, oh yes. Uh, it, yeah, the donations are very welcome. Had it not been for a number of, of really generous people who believe that what we're doing is worthwhile, uh, sending us money last year, uh, I don't know if we'd have been able to keep the doors open and pay all the bills because we still have to pay our rent. We have to pay the mortgage on a hangar. We still have to pay, you know, I had to pay $25,000 for insurance before we even start the engines. Uh, you know, our expenses are still there. So, you know, anybody that believes that what we're doing is worthwhile, we would certainly appreciate all their support. There's a mechanism right on our website where we can receive donations in. And very shortly, we'll have a page on the website where people can buy 
you know, uh, our custom t-shirts and baseball caps and patches and, and models. We actually have models of the airplane. Uh, so uh, we'll have that up and running here within the next few weeks. But uh, donations, absolutely, we would love to have it. And, you know, ironically, there are a lot of organizations that will do uh, have giving programs. Amazon, for instance, if somebody wants to help us. Amazon has a mechanism where they give half a cent of every dollar spent. Uh, if you go on your Amazon account and you select that you want to participate in their in their program uh, for not for profits, it does not cost you anything. It comes out of Amazon's money. Uh, if you spend hundred dollars, you still still spend hundred dollars. But if you select us as a donor in that program, Amazon will take a half a cent of every uh, dollar that you spend and give it to you know to the not-for-profit you select. We'd hope you'd select us. So it may not sound like a lot, but I don't know. I spend a lot of money on Amazon. I think a lot of other people do. That adds up pretty fast. I think my wife would appreciate that. She can go out and keep spending on Amazon and and then actually donate to a great cause, which of course yeah, you would know. <laughs> certainly appreciate it. It's it, it's uh it's actually it's really a pretty neat program. Amazon just just did, and it does not come out of your money. It comes out of Amazon's money. So it doesn't cost you a cent to you or anybody that's making a purchase. It doesn't cost a cent. You know, it comes out of the Amazon's profit that they donate as part of their giving back. So it's really a neat program. And uh, we recently joined that about six months ago. And we've had a pretty good response uh, when we put it out on Facebook and uh, Instagram, you know, that we were doing that and asking everybody to participate. We've had a pretty good response. We would love to have a lot more of a response, though, because. Uh, if we're going to be able to keep these airplanes flying, uh, a, the expense is outstripping the uh, revenue we're able to bring in or, you know, come and join our flight school and uh, you know, go through the flight training program or come take a flight experience ride with us. You know, 100% of that always goes into supporting the airplane. None of us have ever taken one penny out of the museum <laughs> and a number of us have to keep putting money in it to keep it going. So absolutely get involved, uh, you know, go to the air shows, look online, DelawareAviationMuseum.org. Of course, that giving through, through Amazon is absolutely terrific. You know, Larry, what, what's next for you? I mean, what's next for, for Panchito and, and what's next for the museum? I, well, I, we, we are focused on trying to keep it going. And, uh, I, We've had Ron Kovis joined our uh, organization and on, on, as, a, as a board member here last year, and Calvin Peacock as well. Calvin's retired uh, uh, U.S. Air Captain. Ron is a former uh, president of Lockheed Martin. And what them two have joined up in doing is what, <coughs> excuse me, in recent years, as we got the other airplanes, I'm the A&P and the IA, and I get more and more bogged down, and my time is taken by maintaining the airplanes. I've always wanted to get more of an outreach program, more and more youth education programs, more and more flight programs where we can introduce kids to aviation. And uh, so my goal and what we're expanding, what Ron Kovis and Calvin you know, are doing, and, and Bob Ferguson, who's recently joined us, uh, what they are doing is expanding and focusing on uh, 
uh, on those programs. You know, the Zoom programs we're doing with high schools now, uh, STEM programs, uh, space education programs. So you know, what's next for us? Expanding the programs, you know, getting the message out to the youth that a career is not necessarily flipping burgers at McDonald's. I mean, that's, I'm not knocking those that do that. I did that. But uh, uh, there are wonderful careers available to people in aviation. Uh, there's wonderful messages and needs to be told about what our, our military, our veterans, what they have done you know, to, uh, to make us a free country. But you know, careers in aviation, uh, aviation is not just pilots, but air traffic controllers, airfield management. There's all kinds of careers. You got bad eyes, you can't be an airline pilot, you can't be a fighter pilot in the Navy. What about airfield management? What about uh, 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 flight controller? What about A&P mechanics? What about uh, you know, inspectors, uh, avionics? There's, good Lord, there's just tremendous careers available in aviation, but if the kids are not told about it and also shown exactly how to do it, you know, to turn the light on for some kid and then walk away and leave them walking around in the dark trying to figure out how, you know, to do this is, would be doing an injustice. What we're trying to do is not just get that message out to the kids, not just tell them, hey, you can be a pilot, you can be a mechanic, you can be an airfield manager, you can be an air traffic controller, whatever it may be but then make certain that they get the information on exactly step-by-step step how to do it. It's up to them to do it. We're not gonna do it for them, but showing them how to do it is a tremendous step. A lot of them, their parents may have never done anything more than high school and they don't know what they don't know, you know, to tell them. So we're trying to fill in that gap for those that might have an interest. And absolutely true. They don't know what they don't know. And I'm glad that you're looking that towards that in the future. Larry, this has been great having you here. Is there anything else you want to tell us before we uh, knock off here tonight? <laughs> well, come see us. Uh, sign on to Amazon and, and choose us for the, uh, uh, for the not-for-profit you'd love to support. We'd love to do that. But uh, come see us down at Sun and Fun. We'll also be at Oshkosh at AirVenture. Uh, and I tell you, Air Venture is planning the Warbird Show of the Century. So uh, to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, uh, I'll be work I'm working with Dennis Dunbar on that as far as the bomber flight. And uh, that, that, that's about all we want to say at this point is you don't want to miss it. Okay, so come see us at Air Venture as well. Absolutely. You don't want to miss uh, Panchito, the B-25, and everything that Larry Kelly has been doing, uh, keeping a legacy alive. And also, really, you're out there helping people move forward in their lives, their careers, looking at new ways of, of getting into different careers in aviation. So hats off to you on that. Larry, I really appreciate you coming here today. Well, I appreciate you having me and look forward to uh, meeting everybody down at Sunday Fun. Absolutely. And don't forget, you can see myself and also all the other crew at Stuck Mike Avcast and Aviation Careers Podcast there uh, at the deck at Sun and Fun Radio, not far from the Warbird ramp. And don't forget, you have to go check out Panchito. Uh, it's quite the shiny bird. And uh, and it's really something that is helping keep the legacy alive. That's what Larry's doing. That's what they're doing with Panchito. And it'll help you 
become inspired. I'm telling you, when you see this aircraft and you see it fly overhead, you will be inspired. And one of the most important things I want you to do for me is, is like Larry said, go out there and, and try to do something to help somebody get more involved in aviation. It could be careers. It could be going to a museum. It could be helping somebody get an interest in aviation, maybe from a historical perspective, but make sure you do something really, really uh, today and really important like that to, to help people move forward in life. And by the way, don't forget to check out the scholarships guide. We were talking about aviation careers. We have over $120 million in scholarships that are in that guide. And our sponsor, PlainEnglishSim.com, is actually giving away some scholarships or scholarships guides. And you can find out more at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free. And that's the sponsor of the podcast today. Well, this has been awesome. One thing I want to say to you is after you hit stop, I want you to not stop there. What I want you to do is check out the show notes. And if you can remember this, go out to their website, DelawareAviationMuseum.org. Also find out more about what we're doing at Sun of Fun, FlySNF.org. And you can listen to us right now, Sun of Fun Radio, liveatc.net slash SNF. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.